Chapter One of Dead Love Has Chains by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. Dead Love Has Chains by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter One lady mary harling was going back to england after a winter in ceylon she was too idle too utterly without ambitions or views to be free from chronic illness she suffered from a tendency to asthma in a very mild form always talked of by herself and her friends as her asthma as if it were a rare and peculiar malady while there were dressmakers assistants and factory girls in london reckoned by thousands who were afflicted in the same manner and who took the thing as a matter of course just an occasional shortness of breath that made hard work in long hours a shade more irksome in whitechapel and bermondsey it was everybody's asthma occasioning frequent visits to the dispensary in hertford street mayfair it was lady mary harling's asthma and a theme for fashionable physicians to expatiate upon with unctuous solicitude meditating or seeming to meditate profoundly before they advised the precise spot upon this globe that would be best for their cherished patient in the coming winter last year it had been a swan and the year before it had been cairo and the year before that st moritz and before that meran this last winter had been spent in ceylon and lady mary was going home bored to death with all that she had seen and done the gardens temples palaces bazaars people most of all the white people she knew in england she was going home not happy but resigned knowing that there was more boredom waiting for her the impalpable invisible black devil of ennui in town and country in her too spacious house in hertford street in her fine old georgian mansion in hampshire on the edge of the new forest needless to say that lady mary had one of the best cabins midship on the upper deck of the electra one of the finest steamers recently built by the most renowned company trafficking in passengers only between the thames and the hoogly it was a cabin for three adapted for one and in a smaller cabin on the same expensive deck she had her maid and her souffre-douleur a dowerless kinswoman of six-and-twenty whom she had taken to herself eight years before when the girl was young and pretty and when her friends hoped that in such distinguished surroundings she might make a comfortable or even a brilliant marriage the poor child's chances in the matrimonial line were blighted by a terrible sorrow that came upon lady mary in the second year of daisy meredith's service a calamity that put a sudden end to all foregatherings of the young and lively in hertford street or at cranford park as years wore on lady mary had seen more society but she seemed to have taken an aversion to young people and never had any of them about her i can't amuse them and they don't amuse me she said when her intimates accused her of cultivating dullness she let the cranford shooting and gave the money to a bournemouth hospital her friends were all of them past forty some grave and learned some frivolous and pleasure-loving but none young from young men in particular she shrank with a kind of disgust she could better put up with girls this was a consequence of the great grief that had come upon her suddenly when daisy meredith was nineteen daisy at twenty-six had made up her mind to a life of spinsterhood and did not even know that she was still pretty she was attached to her friend and protectress who had taken her from a shabby home in an interminable road in the dismal north of london and from her place as buffer between a father and a mother who quarrelled incessantly when they were together and who occasionally separated but always made the mistake of coming together again the life in hertford street was elysium after the life in the seven sisters road 
and daisy was able to be of more use to her mother by little gifts out of her handsome allowance than ever she had been as a buffer the allowance was called pocket-money and everybody knew her as a useful cousin and not a salaried companion somewhere in the hull of the ship there was a footman whose most arduous duties during the voyage were limited to the careful placing of her ladyship's deck-chair rugs and sun-umbrellas on the promenade deck generally wrong as to wind and sun till corrected by one of the ship's officers and in fetching and carrying books and magazines and work-bags at miss meredith's bidding like most women of large means and no ambitions lady mary was an accomplished needlewoman deeply interested in every revival of old art and pictorial embroidery her latest task was a panel for a screen a landscape of dutch formality with a row of poplars in a laborious raised stitch every tree requiring months of patient toil the panel closely veiled in tissue paper was stretched on a frame and to establish this conveniently for lady mary's labour was a work of time it gave the cousin and maid and footman something to do every morning either on the open deck or in the ladies drawing-room and to re-establish it in her ladyship's cabin after luncheon lady mary had acknowledged to eight-and-forty for the last three years but was believed from the evidence of history to be older she had been seventeen years a widow and was still handsome enough to bring no shame upon handsome clothes dress was a subject to which she gave serious thought and she considered herself successful she loved bright colour in her houses and in her gowns i had rather be garish than dull she told people that great sorrow the unutterable grief of six years ago had spread so dark a pall over the life of the heart that she had been forced to take pleasure in externals i have only things to interest me she said i am always bored but i make a good fight against boredom she was a member of the dante society and took a keen delight in their proceedings and read a little dante every day as piously as her bible she took daisy meredith to all the best concerts of the season to hear all the old favourites and all the new prodigies on piano or fiddle it is good for you if it sometimes bores me she said so it will be seen that daisy meredith did not eat the bread of tears albeit no lover had come a-wooing the double cabin that daisy shared with margot the devoted provencal maid was near the stern lady mary's neighbours on one side were a colonel and his wife and on the other side there was a two-berth cabin occupied by a young lady from calcutta with her maid a young lady who was too ill or too unhappy to appear in public and whom lady mary had not seen she had encountered the maid several times in the corridor a middle-aged woman sour-visaged and severe i'm afraid your young lady is very ill she said to the maid one morning i heard her sobbing and moaning last night the woman pinched her lips and answered curtly hysterical she brushed past lady mary and disappeared in the cabin what a churlish person to have charge of a sick girl thought lady mary full of pity for the distressed fellow-creature whose low moaning broken now and then by a suppressed sob had kept her awake between two and three o'clock in the morning they were in the stifling heat of the red sea and every porthole was open and sounds were audible from cabin to cabin the moaning sound was in the hot heavy air when lady mary fell asleep and she heard it again when she awoke at six o'clock after that there was only silence in the girl's cabin and no sound of speech all the morning though lady mary could hear the door opening and shutting the maid going in and out the clinking of cup and spoon when the girl was taking her breakfast no speech she thought much of this solitary girl after her encounter with a cross-grained attendant girls are not hysterical for nothing 
the moaning and sobbing in the silent night hours could only mean mental distress what was the sorrow that watched with her in those dreary night hours was it grief at being parted from a lover or mourning for some near and dear one lately lost father mother sister brother and to be solitary in her sorrow with no one near her but her hard-featured unmannerly maid lady mary's heart went out to this unknown girl in her loneliness a heart full of pity and yearning i must do something she thought i can't lie here night after night like a log while that girl hugs her sorrow surely sympathy soothing words from a motherly woman might bring her some little comfort she had said no word about the lonely girl to daisy who was all kindness for her fellow-creatures nor to her maid margot whose exuberant southern nature would have been quick to pity eager to console if it were only by offering to retrim a hat or devise something new in hairdressing lady mary felt that those secrets of the night season the sorrow with which proximity had made her acquainted were not to be told to the first comer something she felt she must do and one sultry breathless day when the maid had gone to her dinner lady mary knocked gently at the door of the next cabin a fretful voice answered quickly come in and then as the fine matronly figure the handsome face and silver hair appeared in the doorway i thought it was the stewardess continued the voice rather more fretfully you've come into the wrong cabin the girl was sitting on her sofa berth wrapped in a loose white dressing-gown her hair coiled in a great careless knot on the top of her head her bare feet in red slippers without heels lady mary's keen vision realized every detail she looked slovenly forlorn uncared for out of health but she was exquisitely beautiful her face shone in the cramped cabin space like a light her form was no less exquisite the muslin dressing-gown hanging loosely over the lawn nightgown revealed every line of the perfect figure but while the matron's eyes gazed at her in startled admiration the girl snatched up a large soft shawl that had fallen on the floor and wrapped it hastily around her no there is no mistake lady mary said gently i am in the next cabin and knowing that you were quite alone i am not alone i have my maid yes but she is not a companion for you very useful no doubt but no companion i don't want company i prefer being alone thank you there was a pause before the last two words and the tone was not over gracious my dear young lady i have heard you sobbing in the night i can't help having ears you know and i should like so much to be of use to you i thought perhaps i might help you think of pleasant things to put aside your grief now and then to take courage and to face life bravely no life is all sorrow it is easy to say that i dare say you have been lucky and have never known what trouble means you look like that a woman of fifty as perfectly dressed and coiffée as lady mary always was is apt to give that impression and her appearance certainly made a marked contrast to the girl's slovenly forlornness she had drawn her feet up onto the sofa and sat huddled in the big red shawl making herself as ungraceful a bundle as she could but the lovely head and throat the perfect shoulders the shining copper browns of her hair the large hazel eyes and red sorrowful mouth could not be hidden mary harling looked at her with a sad reproachfulness i have known a great sorrow a sorrow that went very near to break my heart she said gravely i beg your pardon the girl said quickly and then looking at her visitor with great angry eyes like a wild beast at bay she said and in the days of your great sorrow perhaps you didn't much want to see people 
especially strangers that will do said lady mary you must kindly pardon my intrusion which i sincerely regret she had left the cabin and shut the door before the girl could reply i am an officious old fool she told herself angrily as she shut her own cabin door a little more sharply than usual three minutes afterwards there came an impetuous knock on the panel come in said lady mary the door opened quickly and the girl appeared the red shawl skewered round her with a gold safety pin and her long white dressing-gown trailing on the floor i am sorry i was rude she faltered you meant to be kind to me there was a sullen air even in her apology but lady mary saw the lovely red lips quivering the eyes strained as if to keep back tears sit down she said kindly and drew the girl on to her sofa and put a down pillow behind her shoulders i did mean to be kind i wanted to cheer you if i could it must be sad to be alone on a voyage or with only a maid and yours doesn't seem a pleasant person she's a horror but i suppose she means well she is extremely respectable she said the last words with a curious sneering emphasis that did not escape lady mary she has a daughter who is the very pink of respectability the girl went on becoming suddenly voluble she is always talking of herself and her daughter it is her only idea of conversation her daughter passed all the standards at a board school and went into service at seventeen she was perfection as a children's maid in the great house and at nineteen she married the head gardener and her mistress gave her a wedding present and she never did anything wrong in her life never 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 that kind of conversation must be rather boring boring i turn my face to the wall and clench my hands and wish myself dead i always wish that but i wish a little more intensely when wareham is telling me about her daughter my dear girl you must not say that we have to make the best of our lot upon earth come what may you must let me be your friend while we are on the ship no matter how our ways are to be parted afterwards have you any nice books with you look at my travelling library my favourite poets and charles lamb and a dickens and a thackeray or two at my age old books are old friends is there anything there you would like to read the girl's eyes had been roving round the cabin where there was a gracious elegance in all the trivial conveniences and adornments that gave the key note to the occupant's life down cushions in embroidered muslin covers with soft silk frills indian coverlet and portiere of exquisite needlework writing-cases work-basket delicately bound books everything choice and graceful and pretty the belongings of a woman into whose life nothing sordid or ugly cheap or pretentious had ever entered and lady mary herself in her soft silk middle-aged gown with an old mechlin lace fichu fastened neatly with one large turquoise was in perfect harmony with her surroundings everything had the same air of calm superiority and everything jarred upon the girl's overstrung nerves i see you have jane eyre she said after a pause i should like to read that again lady mary took the volume out of the row of books in the shelf over her berth it was bound in dark green morocco with a good deal of gold work and inlaid with scarlet calf i made her as fine as i could because i am so fond of her she said as she put the book in the girl's hand the girl turned the leaves looking at the pages dreamily and gave a long heart-broken sigh how happy i was when i read this book she said presently and yet i thought i was miserable it was at school and novels were contraband that made us fonder of them 
one of the housemaids used to get them for us from the grocer bright red cloth books printed on cheap paper jane eyre was the gem was it a happy school oh pretty well as schools go i believe it was an expensive school there were only twenty girls and we had a fine garden tennis court croquet ground and we dined late and had to wear low frocks for dinner there was a great deal of fuss but i think most of the girls liked it i didn't lady mary was on the point of asking the whereabouts of the school but checked herself she wanted to obtain this girl's confidence because it seemed to her that the girl had sore need of a friend and the best way to win her from her sullen reserve was to refrain from asking a single question i'll take care of your lovely book the girl said rising to go and then as she neared the door perhaps you don't even know my name she said it is brown jane brown lady mary did not try to detain her she wanted the girl to get accustomed to the idea of a friendly neighbour pray come in and see me sometimes when you are bored she said i generally stay in my cabin between lunch and tea or would you not like to come on deck with me some fine morning i am sure the air would be good for you thanks no i hate the deck and i feel too ill to dress properly but if i may come here once in a way when i want to hear a human voice that is not wareham's pray come i shall be very glad to see you i am generally alone at this time my young cousin enjoys herself so much all the morning that she wants a long siesta i hear her laughing said miss brown she must be a very cheerful person she has a very happy disposition miss brown knocked at the cabin door at the same hour next day she was dressed quite neatly in a blue muslin morning-gown and her hair was tidier those masses of copper-brown hair which lady mary admired she brought back jane eyre wrapped in tissue paper you must read very quickly said lady mary but perhaps you have only skimmed the book at a second reading no i read every word it took me out of myself i was jane eyre and not jane brown her troubles were my troubles i don't think she had so bad a time after all what not when she ran away from the man who worshipped her not when she was starving on the moor she must have been proud of herself all the time because she was worshipped by that stern strong man and because she had fought the battle and won and had never lost her self-respect i don't think starving on the moor mattered she knew he loved her she knew she had done a great thing in leaving him i believe she was always happy always after she knew that rochester loved her she dashed some tears from her eyes with an angry movement of her hand a lovely hand perfectly moulded only a shade too white for the beauty of youth and health mary harling was glad to hear her talk there had been no sobs or mourning heard in the night and no doubt the girl had read all night or had read herself to sleep anything was better than an incessant brooding on her own sorrows whatever those might be she sat on the cabin sofa nearly an hour watching lady mary at work upon one of her poplars the taper fingers drawing the silken thread in and out the hand now above now below the frame it seemed a work of ages your trees don't grow as fast as the poplars out of doors the girl said no it is slow work penelope might have tired out her suitors without the nightly task of unpicking there were lapses of silence with only the faint rustle of lady mary's silken sleeve as her hand moved to and fro presently after a little speech about indifferent things lady mary ventured a question i hope you are going home to relations you love 
i am going to a woman i never saw though she is my father's sister and you are going to live with her till your people come home yes i suppose so i have only my father and he will not leave india for the next three years i hope your aunt is a nice kind person and that her surroundings will be all that you like i don't care much for surroundings she must live in a house with walls and a roof and there will be air to breathe and food to eat and a bed to lie upon i am sorry to hear you talk in that despondent strain lady mary said very gently you are so young and forgive me for saying so lovely that it is cruel to think you can be without hope it is true all the same i have nothing to hope for and then after a pause and everything to dread she clasped her hands before her face struggling with her sobs then rose quickly and went to the door i am going back to my cabin she said it always hurts me to talk of myself lady mary put her arms round her and kissed her reluctant cheek then i will never speak of your own affairs again she said you shall have all my sympathy without a single question forgive me if i stirred the waters of mara they need no stirring they drown my heart day and night come to me again to-morrow and we will talk of only pleasant things and you must choose another book before you go thank you the girl surveyed the shelf slowly then put up her hand and drew out a slim volume half bound in gilded vellum the scarlet letter exclaimed lady mary oh that is such a painful story please let me read it my father took it away from me a year ago when i was not half through it is that your idea of girls that they ought to know nothing of the sorrow and shame that some women have to suffer some who are no older than themselves it is a difficult problem i have no daughter so i have not had to answer the question take hawthorne's work if you like it is exquisitely written but i am afraid it will make you sad lady mary woke in the dead of the night at the sound of stifled sobs in the next cabin the scarlet letter was not an effectual anodyne End of chapter one